Yeah. So it sounds like you have a lot of balls in the wear in the sorry, in the air. Where do you wedge weeding in? I cannot talk. <laughs> hey everyone, I'm Ann Bogle. And this is What Should I Read Next, episode 38. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Readers, on our recent Ask Me Anything episode, I got lots of questions about recommending books for kids. When it comes to children's recs, I rely on people who know children's books, and Literati Kids sure does. Literati Kids is a book club subscription that sends five beautiful children's books to your door each month, handpicked by experts. They tailor each box with age-appropriate selections for children aged 0 to 12, and around themes like mystery, adventure, and history. My 10-year-old loved his Literati box and found several new favorite authors among their personalized selections. In addition to the books your child receives, receives artwork from world-renowned artists, personalized stickers, and other fun goodies in each monthly box. Go to literati.com slash readnext for 25% off your first two orders and pick your kids book club today. Remember, no one else has kids book clubs like these. Only at literati.com slash readnext can you get 25% off your first two orders and receive five incredible kids books curated by experts delivered to your door every month. That's literati.com slash readnext. Today, I'm happy to welcome Anissa Davis onto the show. Anissa is a family physician who lives with her family in California. She says she likes smart, funny, contemporary fiction with diverse protagonists, and she wants to be blown away by more books. That's a tall order. Anissa says she has very high standards, so recommending books to her was a privilege and also kind of terrifying. I hope our conversation is heavy on the fun and light on the terrifying. Let's get to it. Anissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Oh, well, I can't wait to talk books with you today. So, Anissa, where are you calling us from today? I'm calling you from Long Beach, California, which is about 30 miles south of Los Angeles. That sounds lovely. It is. It's a lovely community, close to the beach, very diverse. Um, We have the the moniker of being the most diverse city in America. Really? Long Beach, California? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We have... You know, there's a big Cambodian community here. We have a large Latino community, a lot of African-Americans. So, yeah, we're we're very diverse. I had no idea. So what does your life look like there? How long have you been settled? Well, I have been living here for the past 20 years. Um, Long Beach has been a, kind of an interesting city for me because I was born in Seattle. And then we came here when I was six and I lived here until I was 11. Then we left, we bounced all over the the country, and then I came back when I was 15 and graduated from high school, and then I left again to go to undergrad and medical school, and then I came back for residency, and we've been here for the past 20 years since residency. Mm -hmm. So so it keeps calling me back. (laughs) Are you currently practicing as a physician? I am. So I'm a family physician in Los Alamitos, California, which is about seven miles down the road. Um, And I see everything from, you know, newborns just out of the hospital to um, 103-year-olds. And I'm actually going to be going into public health pretty soon, which is looking at more of a community um, issues. So like if there's a Zika outbreak in the whole entire city of Long Beach, then I would be helping Long Beach to uh, be prepared for that and test for that and um, treat it. Okay. I wish that was hypothetical, but I take your point. (laughs) No, we got to be prepared. Okay. So that immediately has my mind going towards books with massive 
pandemic outbreaks. But Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) on that note, what role does reading have in your life? Reading has been a through line for me since I learned how to read. So we, I was raised by my dad and he was kind of a rolling stone. And so we bounced all over the country and the city. Um, And so reading was kind of that fallback thing. It was, you know, I knew every single uh, library in my community and when I was new to a community, I didn't really know anybody. Reading was kind of the thing I could do. I could read at lunch, but I didn't have anybody to read with. And then when I made friends, you know, that was also something that kind of um, bonded us. I remember reading um, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, that series by Maya Angelou with one of my best friends when we were in like about 13. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, wonderful too. And um, I read during, you know, undergrad, medical school, residency, uh, reading was kind of my comfort, you know, when I wasn't getting any sleep, I could kind of fall back on a really good book. So it's been with me forever. Now I'm reading to my kids. I'm excited about that, getting to read books that I enjoyed and then exposing them to it. It sounds like you have a pretty full life. Where do you wedge reading into that right now? You know, it's so funny, Anne. It's, I don't have any problem finding time to read because I will put off other things. So (laughs) I kind of have a clutter issue and I'll make sure like the kids, you know, we have stuff to eat and um, everybody's clean. But other than that, if there's things I can put off, I would rather be reading a good book. And then the other thing is, you know, I kind of count my friends by how willing they're, they are to kind of let me read when we're together. <laughs> so I'll be at all these parties and I, I'm still social, like I'll make conversation, but they know there's kind of a book on my lap and I might just read a few pages and then I'll come back um, and pick up wherever we were or start a new conversation with somebody else. Um, so it really isn't a problem for me because I feel like I kind of totally kind of schedule my life around the books I'm reading. It's funny because I'll have errands to run and I won't have any problem going to the library. Like if the library is an errand, like that's first. And then if I can't quite wash my car or I can't get to the bank, I'm like, well, I can do that tomorrow. But the books are coming. I'm getting those home. Okay. So you've got your priorities straight. Yeah, that's right. I'm glad to hear it. (laughs) Okay. Well, you know how this works. You're going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate and what you're reading now. And we'll talk about what you should read next. Want a confidence boost? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22. This is game-changing color you can do at home and look as if you just came from the salon without the time or expense. At Madison Reed, master colorists blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. What should I read next? Listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the code READ. Use the code READ, R-E-A-D, at madison-read, R-E-E-D.com. Readers, if you love What Should I Read Next, you're going to love being part of our Patreon community. That's where we share bonus episodes, including follow-ups with previous guests, interesting conversations that were cut for time reasons, and one great book style episodes where I tell you all about recent reads that I adore. In addition to the extra audio, you get access to our super secret spreadsheet vault with the full list of all the books guests love and my three recommendations from every episode in an easy-to-search format. And on occasion, we get together live online for Ask Us Anything-style conversations and events like our 90-minute fall book preview and summer reading guide unboxing. Join for all these perks and to be part of the community behind What Should I Read Next. Go to patreon.com slash what should I read next. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash what should I read next to become a member today. Patreon.com slash what should I read next. 
So my first book is kind of um, The Accidental Tourist by Ann Tyler. And I first read this when I was in college, so it's been about 20 years. And um, it really uh, got me through a breakup. I was going through a breakup and, you know, I just was kind of ruminating on that. And so I found a, found this book and I read it and I really enjoyed it. But it also kind of played that, that special part for me because it would distracted me that I couldn't think about, you know, breaking up with this guy. Um, and then I was just so happy because she had 10, you know, nine other books before then. So I'm sure you understand that special joy you get when you find a new author and then you're like, Ooh, I've got 10 more books I can read. So, um, she's been with me and I've read every single one of her books. So to give you just like a, a brief little synopsis, it's basically about a couple who they're kind of, they've been married for 20 years and they're sort of kind of coasting. It's not really a great relationship. They're kind of going through it and their son dies. And, and this is all very in the beginning. And then basically the, the rest of the book is about the father and the couple and how he is, you know, this, this death of his son is kind of a catalyst for him to kind of look at his life because he's kind of a kind of stodgy and a very careful man and wasn't really living. He was kind of an accidental tourist in his own life. That's where the, um, the title comes from. And it just about him and he kind of implodes into himself after this happens. And so it's kind of him trying to reckon with himself and what kind of life is he going to lead. So um, that's really what it's about. And the reason I really enjoyed it is that, you know, first of all, I feel like it's the full package. Like it's a very well written book. She's uh, very good at bringing her characters to life. Her characters were very true. You know, I felt like I knew them, like I could totally see them, you know, sitting on a bench. And she also, she has, it, it, so it's really entertaining, but it also has this kind of layer of depth because he's kind of dealing with, with his son and he's dealing with his life and he's meeting new people and he's trying to figure out how, you know, they're going to play a part in his life. And I also really enjoyed her. She's very good at depicting life. Like she's really good at depicting relationships with children. She's very true to that, to how kids act. And she, she was also really good at talking about pets. She, so she kind of envelops what your daily life is like with all of the joys and ups and downs and humor. She used that really well. Um, so I just really enjoyed that book. That sounds, that sounds wonderful. I haven't read that one. Have you read, so it sounds like you've already read Vinegar Girl. I have, I have. Um, and I enjoyed it, but I feel like if you have not read Ann Tyler, the books that I would recommend would be um, Accidental Tourist would be number one. Uh, Dinner at the Homesick Restaurant would be number two, mm -hmm. um, which I actually read in high school. And that was one of my library reads when I didn't have anything to do at lunch. And then um, number three would be Breathing Lessons because she won the Pulitzer for that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, Vinegar Girl wouldn't be one of my first ones. Mm -hmm. Well, I, she is prolific. So I think she it's okay is. if, you know, not all right. of them are. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Yes. Okay. Yep. Good start. What's book two? So book two is Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Uh -huh. So I felt like the Ann Tyler book was more kind of my fiction. And that really is my, my catnip. Like if it's humorous and it's about people and it's about families and there's an added little depth, but it's not, you know, wallowing in sadness, then that, that's really, that's my genre. Um, and then another one that I, I really 
like is uh, nonfiction. And I am kind of attracted to um, tragedy, for lack of a better word. I feel kind of voyeuristic about it. But uh, this book is about a 1996 expedition to Everest. John Krakauer was uh, hired by Outside Magazine to go on the expedition, and he was supposed to talk about the commercialization of Everest. But what actually happens is it's one of the worst seasons as far as um, deaths on the mountain in the history of climbing Everest. And so he is kind of a first person witness to this um, tragedy. The thing about this book, this was also one of the one of my comfort reads that I reread in residency when I hadn't gotten any sleep mm -hmm. and I just needed something to kind of fall into. It is gripping. Like it just takes you by the collar at the beginning and just takes you on a ride. And it was a page turner and I couldn't put it down. And you know, you know that bad things are going to happen. Like, you know that when you open the book, but he just has such a way of engaging you and making you just kind of like on the edge of your seat of what's going to happen. Um, and it was really sad, of course. And so, you know, all the feelings are there, which is another big pull for me. So it was just a really, really gripping, gripping nonfiction read. That's such a good book. Okay. I think I've read that about five times. How many of you? <laughs> it's probably, probably close to that. Yeah, it is. There's something, I don't know. I don't, and it wasn't like I was interested in mountains necessarily or any of that. I don't even know how I started to read that book, but woo. And he's another one. Like, he could write about water. And I'd be like, well, I'm going to get that book. And I'm I, gonna read I would water. totally read that. However, I haven't read Missoula yet, but I'm going to get there. I Missoula, for me, was a before and after book. I don't know if you've had books where, I'm sure you have, where um, you had a certain set of, of, of preconceptions or views of the world. Missoula really made me question my... Like when I hear these stories about something that happened between an athlete and a woman, um, I have a whole new perception of how it plays out, how it plays out in the legal system. Um, so it was a great book. Wow. Yeah, that is high praise. Uh -huh, uh -huh. He was a little bit more biased in that book. Like he wasn't he wasn't as objective as maybe he could have been, but it was still really gripping and a great read and just so eye opening. That's interesting because he's been singled out as an author who hasn't been hesitant at all to go back and revisit. Like he's updated into thin air several times as new information ah. has come out. So I'm not interested in mountaineering either, or except I've read a couple books trying to replicate my into thin air experience. But right. it's one of those weird crowd pleasers that just so many people seem to love. I think just because it's it's so human. Right. He, I, you're right. He did really good at that. He really brought everybody to life. Like he really fleshed out. So it was almost like fiction because he really fleshed out his characters. And, and I just think the, the grippingness of it and the fact that it was all true and that he just happened to be there. It was almost like meant to be, you know, he was meant to be in this place. It was kind of crazy. Oh yeah. It gives me chills just thinking about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, so those are two rather unique picks. Okay. What is your third one to round it out? So my third pick, I read a lot of uh, self-help books and kind of instructional books. I read a lot of, you know, decluttering books. I read a lot about homeschooling because we homeschool our kids. And so uh, my third book is in that vein. It's Super Better by Jane McGonigal. 
Have you heard of that one? No, I have not. It is wonderful. So basically, Jane McGonigal is a, uh, she's a doctorate. She has a PhD. And her specialty is um, studying games and the science of games and how games kind of help us in our life. So that's her background. And what happened is she suffered a really severe brain injury and she had a concussion that was taking, you know, months and months for her to get out of. And she finally came to the point where she was like, you know, in order for me to even try to get over this and recover from this concussion with these really debilitating headaches and she couldn't get out of bed, um, she decided to make her recovery into a game. So from there, she kind of developed this whole entire kind of method or system and she studied it where you uh, improve your life by um, turning whatever it is you're trying to improve into a game. And it's just really uh, fascinating. So she has, um, you would have like a, a secret identity. And then during the book, you have all these quests. So the, and the quests are just kind of small things that kind of stretch you. So like in a game. Um, so one might be to, you know, do 10 jumping jacks. And so now you've done this little thing, it's kind of stretched you and you're a better person because of it. And she also, she takes, basically her thing is to take what your, um, the, the mindset that you put into doing a game. So when you're playing a game, you're positive about it. You're kind of optimistic because otherwise you wouldn't be playing it if you didn't think you could win or overcome whatever it is. Um, and so she's taking that mindset and applying it to other aspects of your life. And so she's doing that by doing little quests. The things that are getting in your way of, of reaching your goals are called bad guys. And she really kind of, <laughs> isn't that funny? And so by doing your little quests, you kind of identify what your bad guys are. And she really encourages you to get really silly. So like your bad guy, like one of mine is kind of, I call her barbed Betty. Because it's my kind of prickly, irritated type of being and so she she you identify your bad guy and then you identify kind of your antidotes how are you going to fight this bad guy what your secret identity is you figure out what your character strengths are by going through the book and then you have what's called power-ups where which are like little things that you do that bring you joy or pleasure or kind of boost you up and that's part of the game too is to do these little things that kind of boost you so it might be like petting your cat for 30 seconds what I like about it is that, you know, I read a lot of self-help books. It's something that I've been very committed to, but she does it in such a fun way. So the tenets are all the same, like, you know, think positive, you know, uh, identify what your goals are, take baby steps to get to your goals. But the way she does it, it just brings this levity to it. And the people who are using Super Better are fighting things like cancer and insomnia and really heavy issues. But the way that she does it, you don't, like, you feel kind of lighthearted and fun, and it's an enjoyable experience. So I really, really like that book. Okay, so I just realized why it sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. She had a really popular TED Talk about this, didn't she? Yes. Okay, yes. so we'll link to that in show notes. That'd Excellent. Be great. Now, Anissa, how do you break down in your reading habits between fiction and nonfiction, and which is harder for you to find good books in? So I would say uh, fiction is definitely harder, you know, so one of the issues, one of the challenges I have is finding diversity in fiction. So that would be kind of one issue, whether it's diversity in religions or ethnicities or sexual orientation, I would like to have more of that. So that I feel like is a challenge to find that, um, especially African-American protagonists in contemporary 
uh, times that are kind of just living their lives and doing their thing. And the other part that I find is finding, I feel like you have to go through a, lot, a good number of frogs to get into your princes. And so I think that's a challenge too, is finding like that one right, wonderful book for me. I feel like I go through a lot of books. I'm like, oh, this was okay. Well, that was all right. But, mm -hmm. you know, to get to the one that just kind of bowls me over. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of been a challenge. Like, um, so I guess that makes you appreciate the books that really do pull you over. That's for sure. But that is yeah. a very good point. I never thought about books as being frogs, but I really <laughs> resonate with that. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It is hard. Um, and then they don't write the books as fast as you want them. When you oh, that, is the author you like. that is the yeah. truth. Well, at least you're an Ann Tyler fan. And not the I, fan of yeah. one of these authors that only write a book a decade. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of frogs, what mm -hmm. what is your hated book? So my hated book is uh, Gone Girl by Gillian Flynn. Can't blame you on that one. And you know what's so funny is we have nearly 40 episodes under our belt. And I was really surprised that nobody mentioned it until about episode <laughs> 35. And now everybody wants to hate Gone Girl. Okay. I thought maybe... Um, but Gone Girl, so the thing I hate about Gone Girl is just kind of my pet peeve in literature in general. So it's not just Gone Girl. Uh, but basically, and I don't want to give anything away, so I'm going to try to be careful here. So I loved her writing, I will say, and I loved the first half of the book. And I felt like she really uh, talked about the arc of a marriage very well. The part that I had a problem with is... Um, the protagonist, and I'm just going to use they. So that person set up their whole entire life to be a certain way. So when they, when they were doing the thing they were doing, I think you know what I'm talking about, they really put a lot of effort and work into it. It was almost like a chess game. And that almost seems sort of unbelievable. But I'm like, well, okay, I'll go with it. Then, so this person had this thing, and they did it a totally certain way. And then there was a part of the book that completely... Like they did something so stupid and I understand that it needed to happen to, to further the plot, but it was so <laughs> out of character mm -hmm. that for me, it, then the rest of the book was just like, you know, like, uh, you know, it just really, it brought me out of the book. And once I got out of the book, it was really difficult for me to continue to go with it. It was like mm -hmm. a cheap trick. I felt like it was like, I understood that they needed it to happen in order for the plot to go along. Mm -hmm. But I just didn't buy it. You know, I just couldn't, I just couldn't, I'm like, I just don't feel that that is in character. And because of that, I was just, you know, I felt like maybe more work needed to be done to get to advance the plot line that still kind of stayed in that character. The other thing that was difficult for me with that book was um, I can only take one crazy person per book. <laughs> and that book had two, and they were both really lunatics, and I just couldn't. That part was really, that part was hard for me. Okay. But the first one with the character thing, that I find, you know, to, to be honest, me before you, I felt I sort of had some, some unbelievability issues with that book too. I can hear you on that. Okay. Any other frogs in your, I don't know, where, on your bookshelves? Mm, I know. I remember me before, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't excited about before the fall, uh, which, you know, maybe I'm just not a, a mystery person. 
But the ending to that, I had to say, was kind of unsatisfying. Again, I thought the writing was excellent. Like, I mm-hmm. loved all of it, but I, the ending, I was kind of like, oh. Did you like I, the rest of the book? Because I enjoyed the book. I thought it was very well written. But while many readers loved the ending, mm-hmm. I found it unsatisfying. Yeah, I would agree. I like, you know, and so then I'm like, well, maybe I just don't like mysteries. Because if he just would have mm-hmm. written that as a regular book, mm-hmm. I probably would have been, you know, quite happy with it. Instead of like being promised this big buildup. Exactly. And then being like, wow, you had all these different threads and, and I didn't like the one that he picked to be the ending. Yeah. yeah unfortunately. I hear you on that. Yeah. Anissa, what are you reading now? Um, I just finished. It's called The Book of Untold Americans uh-huh. by Christina Enriquez. And that, so I feel like one of my fictional uh, through lines is kind of that funny book about families, great characters, very true. And then I also have the other through line that's more books like um, Everything I Never Told You uh, by Celeste Inc. A little bit deeper, not really nowhere in there that you feel is a humorous tone to it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the Book of Untold Americans is kind of more in that line. Excellent book. I really enjoyed it a lot talked about basically all of the protagonists were immigrants from Latin American countries and had some teen angst and first love and then also had a, uh, another story about um, another couple and kind of things that they were dealing with. An accident happened in the aftermath of that. So it was excellent. I really enjoyed it. I keep hearing good things about that, but I haven't read it yet myself. I actually listened to it on audio. Um, which was, that's another thing I've been kind of, you know, finding my way with is audiobooks. And I have discovered that if it's not too long, then I can uh, follow it much better. So this one kind of, it had that, you know, really good characters. I could follow the story really well and um, wasn't too long. So I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. So that's kind of what I'm getting into with audiobooks. Okay. Anissa. Wow. Okay. So we've got a lot of possibilities (laughs) here. What do you want more of in your reading life? More diversity would probably be the first one. And, you know, I just, I don't know if it's realistic, but I want to be captivated and engaged by every book I read. I want every book I read to be like where I'm just singing its praises and I'm like, wow, this was just great. So those are the two things. And maybe like a little bit less guilt. I mean, I about all the time that I do put into reading mm-hmm. because there is times when I'm like, wow, you know, I really do need to wash some clothes or clean out the garage. So I want to just give myself, you know, permission to read for hours and hours. Okay. Sounds good. I like that answer. Okay. I have ideas for you and we will get to them right after the break. Anissa, let's talk about your books. Okay. So here's what I'm noticing. You have people pushed into really interesting situations, like really pushed to the breaking point, almost literally in the case of Jane McGonagall. You have some um, impossible couples, impossible pairings going on on the mountain and between um, Ann Tyler's protagonist and his wife and people who have to overcome strange situations. And you have very high standards. Which makes me yeah. a little apprehensive. So hopefully these will be princes and not frogs. Okay. Um, I am debating exactly what we could do. Oh, because there's so many possibilities. Okay, so I think we're going to okay. go a little funny. Okay. A little serious. And a little nonfiction. Ooh, unless we went a lot nonfiction. Mm. 
Okay. I'd rather on. go fiction-ish. Okay, so none of that nonfiction stuff that you like to read. Because I think, okay, tell me what you think. Okay. As far as great nonfiction is concerned, mm-hmm. I, I think we're on the same wavelength in that I find that much easier to find and much mm-hmm. easier to know in advance. Like my expectations far more often meet my actual experience with nonfiction. Well, and I'm thinking narrative nonfiction, not memoir. Okay, okay. Do you find I- that to be true? I do. So by narrative nonfiction, you mean more the into thin air type thing? I was thinking more like Jane McGonigal. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yes. Yeah. yes Which I is do. probably not the right term. But as no. far as the, you know, the businessy, the TED Talk kind of books. Right. Daring Greatly is already on my list. Mm-hmm. And The Magic of Tidying Up is on my list. So I think you're right. Like, I, I guess maybe my expectations aren't quite as high with the nonfiction. And and you kind of, you, as you... It's, only, it's a smaller pool to choose from. So you kind of know all the, the princes, if you will, because everybody's already talking about them. Mm-hmm. Which also kind of makes me feel like I'm living in a self-promotional bubble. But, <laughs> um, or like a you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of bubble. But it is true that the quality is typically in that kind of circle. I typically expect a lot. I typically get a lot out of it. There are some glaring exceptions. And I won't throw anybody under the bus right now today, but on the whole, usually there's like one standard deviation between what I expect and what I actually get as opposed to fiction where I can expect a five-star read and get one or vice versa sometimes. Right. Right. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. I think usually like, I think with super better, I was just surprised at how good it was, Mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm not usually disappointed as much as more surprised because it's good. Let's try this for book one. It is Be Frank With Me by Julia Claiborne Johnson. What do you know about it? I don't think I know anything about it. Okay. So this is a fairly new release. And it's got kind of the same tone as Where'd You Go, Bernadette. Like you are not reading a deep interior glimpse into someone's mind and heart and soul. So you're reading kind of a screwball comedy. Here's the setup. Imagine like a latter-day J.D. Salinger. We have an author named M.M. Banning, who back in the day in the 1970s wrote a bestseller named Pitched. She only wrote one book and she didn't quite disappear. Like she's not living like in some cabin in Vermont where nobody can find her ever. She's just living in L.A. now, but she hasn't written anything in 30 years since she just published this book when she was 19. So it was a blockbuster bestseller, still sells a million copies a year. She has tons of adoring fans driving by her house and clamoring for more work. And it's never going to happen until M.M. Banning loses a whole bunch of money, including the copyright to her book in this Bernie Madoff style scandal. And Uh she's broke. So she goes back to her editor who still pesters her every once in a while saying, don't you want to write another novel? (laughs) Don't you want to write another novel? So she goes to him and says, sure, I'll write another novel, except her conditions are that she get a huge advance and an assistant bankrolled by the publisher. So the editor, who's thrilled that she's at least talking about writing another book, sends a young, green, sweet, innocent 20-something from New York to L.A., and it becomes apparent pretty quickly that really she's just been hired to be the handler for M.M. Banning's sweet, odd, nine-year-old son who dresses in coats and ties 
morning jackets, depending on the occasion. He has a top hat and he describes, I don't know if he describes himself or if the handler describes him as having Asperger's syndrome. So you have this these funny disparities between this young, innocent girl who's very idealistic and adores M.M. Banning and has red-pitched a whole bunch and loves it and keeps the dog-eared copy in her nightstand, um, the reclusive Salinger-style author, and this very interesting nine-year-old boy. So you can kind of imagine the plot. Like, hijinks ensue, total screwball comedy along the lines of where'd you go Bernadette so this is not going to change your life but it's a lot of fun and if you're getting into audio more the audio version is really great the narrator does it wonderful with the different voices and it really brings the story to life how does that sound it sounds great it sounds great and I have a, one of my little catnip book catnips is books about books so it sounds like it kind of has that flavor in it too mm. and I yeah and I like comedy so that that sounds right up my alley Okay. I love books about books. Okay. Now we're done with the fun stuff. We're moving on to dark and depressing. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Book two is a memoir. And I debated about, you know, the memoir, but it's such a good story and you love into thin air. And this is not remotely in the Jane McGonigal, you know, self-help businessy camp. And this description is going to be spare and you'll see why. So this book is called wave. It's by Sonali Durrani Yagala. It won a bazillion awards when it came out back in 2012, 2013. Here's the setup. So you remember the tsunami back in 2004 Uh in Sri Lanka? Yep. In 2004, the author and her family, her parents, her husband, and her sons were all there in Sri Lanka. And everyone but her was swept away by the tsunami. So this is her account of what happened. And it's beautifully written completely devastating the kind of book that you say I am never going to read that but then someone talks you into starting and you can't put it down really a breathtaking book but obviously difficult powerful and amazing and oddly heartwarming almost but Uh devastating does that sound like anything you might even go near because a lot of people well a lot of people in general don't want to read books that that portray this kind of loss but a lot of people say, you know, never say never. And it could, you know, it could be amazing. So what do you think? You know, I want to say I've actually had that book in my hands because I want to say I've read the first like maybe page or so. It It is. I mean, I think it is in my wheelhouse. I think you're right. I can't. I, I do think it was there was something just kind of like, oh, I just don't know if I can do this. Um, but it is in that same kind of vein of into thin air, like with this horrible thing that happened and kind of, um, you know, taking you through that. So I, you know, I do, if you say that it's well-written, then I'm willing to, to go with it, to give it a try. Okay. I'll be, I'll be interested in hearing what you think. I will let you know. Okay. Book three is more strong fiction. This one is Homegoing by Yah Jesse. Do you I know it? That. Okay, so what did you think? Am I in the right place? I think you are in the right place. It is, um, you know, the thing I liked about that. So one of the issues that I have uh, or the challenges with African-American literature is because a lot of the history is 
really depressing. A lot of books sometimes can be really depressing. And so it's not always like a light and front fun read. You know, you kind of have to be in the mood for that. Mm -hmm. And I went through a whole big phase. Like I've read so all of, you know, Richard Wright, all of Toni Morrison. And so I was a little leery. It was actually a book club pick. And I was a little leery because of that. I was like, oh, slavery. Um, But the thing I really liked about it was that she, she does like, you know, every generation down. And so you don't stay with any character long enough to really wallow in their particular despair. Like you might get a little flavor of it and then that story's over and you go to the next generation and you go to their little, you know, story and what they had to deal with and then when that's over. So I actually really enjoyed it and um, I was okay with the parts that were kind of depressing. Okay. So you said that you wanted to read contemporary diverse fiction. It's yeah. okay if it's sad. It is. It is. Yeah. Okay. I like how, how it went down was, was kind of sad, mm-hmm. but it was so good. That mm-hmm. book was so good. I'm going out on a limb with this. Okay. But we're going to see. So there is a book coming out in October that is shaping up to be one of the, one of the darlings of the publishing industry this fall. Okay. It's called The Mother's. It's by Britt Bennett. It's a debut. And I think you're going to be hearing a lot about this book. This is about a girl growing up in a tight-knit African-American community in Southern California. Okay, so the story revolves around a 17-year-old girl named Nadia, whose mother dies unexpectedly. Well, unexpectedly to her, at least. And she's left with her father. She acts as a 17-year-old girl would in the throes of grief. She forms new relationships in the aftermath. She grows up. This is a coming-of-age story in many ways. But it's called The Mothers because this story is told from the perspective of the, uh, the good church ladies who bring you casseroles and peek at you over the fence and make gossip in the grocery store and who just always know what's going wrong. Or no, not going wrong. You know what? We can leave that Freudian slip. The mothers who are, you know, the ones who are always in the know, who have their ear to the ground and who always know the dirt on everyone. So there's this line right at the beginning of the book that is, I'll just read it to you. So it's all good secrets. Have a taste before you tell them. And if we'd taken a moment to swish this one around our mouths, we might have noticed the sourness of an unripe secret plucked too soon, stolen and passed around before its season. So this story is about secrets. It's about people's stories and who they belong to. It's about what happens when those secrets are told to people they should not be told to. And I always thought about the casserole bearing ladies as being the good guys. They are not the good guys in this book. I've read this. I don't know that I would say it blew me away. Best of the year material. So there's your negative, but the positive is It was so interesting, very interesting perspective. And while maybe it's not best of the year, uh, I I did not want to put this book down until I found out what happened. So it has this, it's a coming of age story, but it has this very wise feeling to it. It's sad. Uh, You would wish the characters made different decisions, but they seem so natural that you at least feel like you understand what's happening and why, even if you don't, even if you just want to say, make better 
choices to your okay. fictional characters. Yeah, but the mothers cause all the trouble and the narrative voice is just very interesting. So you're right. There's not a lot of diverse contemporary fiction and this did really catch my attention for that. And just seeing how these three characters' lives um, got enmeshed and couldn't quite get unraveled properly was very, very interesting. How does that sound to you? That sounds really interesting. That does. Um, I do have a thing about secrets, like that, you know, how they kind of get unfolded. Like that does, um, as the book goes along, that does really... Um, it's like a little magnet. I'm like, ooh, I got to read that. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that drives me crazy in fiction. And it's the plot device that is don't say what you really mean and the action will keep moving forward because of it. Uh-huh. And sometimes it's so unrealistic and it's so stupid, it makes me a little insane. But right. in this story, the action does, in fact, keep moving forward because characters don't out with the truth. But reading this story I mean, you see that that's what's happening, but it's much more like real life where you look at these characters and you go, I totally understand why you don't want to tell this person that thing out loud. So it was the same plot device that's used in so many novels, especially I think that's often a cheap plot device in women's fiction. But in this novel, it's so true to life. It just makes a lot of sense. And it's appropriately painful in that way, as it should be. Right. I know what you're saying. And that is, you know, if we can just, if you can make me believe in what it is that you're doing, then I can, I can go with it. You know, it's when it doesn't fit either the character or like you're saying, like in romance novels, I noticed that a lot where, you know, if they just said the thing, the book would be over in like 20 pages. So I can't say that. So off we go. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, that sounds like something I, I would enjoy. Okay. Well, that is coming out October 11th. Okay. So not, not too long to wait. Okay. Anissa, what do you think you'll read next? Well, I'm going to try to, it's probably between be frank. Well, of course, I'm not going to read mothers next. Um, <laughs> well, I'm um, trying to make it easier for you to decide. Right, right, right. So it'll probably be whichever one I can get from the library first. I will try to get be frank with me on audio because, um, that's how I read kind of more books. I always have one on audio and one normal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, whichever one I can get. I'm not quite sure why I had Wave and where I got it from, but I don't think I have it anymore. So I'll, um, yeah, I'll track both those down and then whichever one or maybe both at the same time. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Yes. Thanks okay. so much for talking books with me today. Well, thank you for having me. This has been so much fun. It's like a little dream come true. <laughs> so fun. Thanks for coming on. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please head to the podcast site to let me know what you thought of my recommendations and to share your recommendations for what Anissa should read next. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 38. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. And don't forget to tag the show on Instagram at what should I read next so we can see what you are reading next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.